Well, if you would, open your Bibles. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 33. We're going to start in verse 12, and then we're going to go partway through chapter 34, um, up through verse 9. Now, let me ask you a question. Is it possible to live in the same house with someone and yet act as if that person isn't present? It's possible, right? Now, the far greater reality that presses in on us this morning is this. Is it not possible that God dwells with his people and yet his people live as if he is not present with them? Today's sermon will both encourage us greatly and challenge us deeply. See, at the heart of it all, our lives are either marked by God's presence or they are not. And so before we read Exodus 33, let me ask you, are you desperate for the presence of God in your life? Or are you one who depends on yourself? Exodus 33, beginning in verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, that's the Lord, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up out from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the mountaintop. No one shall come up with you, and let no one be seen throughout all the mountaintop. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there, stood with him there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, 
keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his ways, we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word towards us this morning. There's so much to contemplate. We pray that your spirit would uh, give us ears to understand and open our hearts to receive this truth, that we would know that you are present with your people, that we would long for that, that we would experience that, we pray. Amen. So I'm going to try to get a song stuck in your head. Don't get don't get mad at me, but it's actually a pretty good song, and and I won't really let it go through the chorus. So maybe some of you younger folks, well, you probably know it too. I don't know, but it's "Stand by Me" by Ben E. King. All right. When the night has come and the land is dark, and the moon is the only light we'll see. No, I won't be afraid. No, I won't be afraid. Just as you, as long as you stand by me. If the sky that we look upon should tumble and fall, or the mountains should crumble to the sea, I won't cry, I won't cry, no, I won't shed a tear, just as long as you stand, stand by me. It's true, isn't it? In this world of dark nights, of life's dreams like mountains crumbling into the sea, it's true, isn't it, that our hearts can actually be steadied by the presence of another. A parent, a, a good friend, a, a husband or wife standing by you. But there's a presence far greater than that, which Moses is pleading for in our passage. The presence of God in the lives of his people. To be with them, to go before them, to instruct them, to care for them, to give them purpose and joy. And the truth is, we are all desperate for what God promises in this passage, His presence. Problem is, we either deny it, or we doubt, or we diminish this truth of God's presence with His people. You know, those outside of the church cannot fathom for the life of them how God's presence in their life would make anything any different. And then there's those inside the church who doubt or diminish God's presence with them. Do you tend to live that way? Doubting God's presence in your life? Moses deeply understood what we must understand. Our lives are nothing but a spinning of wheels without God's presence in our lives. Remember what we've seen so far in this book of, of Exodus. God has been present with his people to bring them out of Egypt and, and to begin to take them to the promised land. But remember the people, they made a, a golden calf. And why did they make that golden calf? Because they wanted to get into the promised land, but without God. They wanted to get into the promised land on, on their terms and in their timing. They were happy to go into the promised land without God. 
But as you recall, Moses interceded for them and he pleaded for them. He made atonement for them and God relented. And God said, guess what? The journey to the promised land, it's still on. We're going. But earlier in chapter 33, and we've not read this, but earlier in chapter 3, I think it's verse 2, God said something to Moses that troubled him and should have and should trouble us here today. God said, I will send an angel to lead you into the promised land. Now, as nice as angels are, and if there's any angels here, I don't mean you any offense, but angels are not the original plan of God. The original plan was that God himself would take his people into the promised land. And so Moses knows what we must know. Pursuing God's purposes without God's presence is fraught with failure. And so look at verse 33, uh, chapter 33, verse 15. Look there. Look, go ahead. See what Moses says. And he said to him, verse 15, check this out. If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us out from here. He's saying, I will not move out unless you move in. This passage begs the question, will we be desperate for God's presence or we will we depend on ourselves? Let me ask you, and I'm asking myself at the same time, is your life marked by a constant dependence upon the presence of God? Is your life marked by the abiding attitude which says, Lord, I will not go off to college unless you are present with me? Lord, I will not get married unless you are present with us. Lord, I will not lead my family, go to work, establish a budget unless you are present with me. My friends, the big idea here is this. Our lives are to be marked by the presence of God. We see that in our text in three ways. First, the promise of God's presence then the basis of God's presence. And lastly, the result of God's presence. First, the promise of God's presence. The Lord told Moses the journey to the promised land was still on, but the Lord said that he would send an angel instead. So in in chapter 33, at the beginning of 12, Moses prays the promises of God back to God. He's repeating back to God his promises. Moses isn't praying just how he feels. Like, God, I feel like you should be back, back down here with me, right? This, these are prayers based on God's already spoken words. Look at verse 12. See, you say to me, bring up this people. I've heard this word. You're saying to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. In other words, you said for me to bring up these people, but now you promise an angel and you haven't even told me his name yet. Is it Gabriel? Is it Michael? Some other guy I don't know of. He's pleading based on God's promises in the past to be with them personally. In verse 12, towards the end, it says, Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. So Moses simply prays God's own words back to him. He's saying, Lord, we have a relationship as you said, I have your favor. So, so there shouldn't be any reason why you can't come down here personally and lead us. 
And with this prayer, what happens? Verse 14, God promises. He says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. First, a couple quick points as you probably see already. Moses models for us that we are to pray God's words back to him. You know, when I pray for the souls of my mother and my brother who still don't know the Lord, I pray according to Scripture. I pray, Father, your word says that the Holy Spirit must come upon a person before they can even begin to, to see and to hear and to understand your gospel. And, um, and, and Father, so I pray that for my mother and for my brother. I pray that your spirit would come upon them and open their eyes and give them the hope in the gospel. But not my will, but your will be done. Moses' prayer and our prayers are to be according to the Word of God. Second, did you catch what comes your way when God is ever-present in your life? Rest. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Now, this isn't so much you floating in your pool on a nice inflatable with a you know, fresh Coca-Cola in your hand. No, Jesus magnified these words to us when he said the words he said in Matthew chapter 11. I'm sure you're familiar with them. Here's what he says. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, today many people in our culture think that a call to Christianity is a call to judgmentalism and hypocrisy. But really, Christ's call to you, to this world, is an offer of rest. Now, a word of caution. This is not an offer of a restful life. No, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he has called you to a life of sacrifice as you serve him in bringing the gospel to your family, to your community, and to the world at large. And so this is not a restful life. That is a heavy laden when you carry that burden. But Jesus says, bring that to me and I will help you carry that. I will give you rest as we shoulder this burden together. Christ doesn't call us to a restful life of shopping sprees and, and Amazon deliveries. God calls us to a life of sacrifice, which is hard, but in the midst, he gives us rest. Why? Because he's promised to be present with us. So God promises Moses his presence and he promises him his rest. And for us Christians today, guess what? The, the promises are, are even far greater than what our Old Testament brothers and sisters experienced. See, Jesus, it, back then the, the, the Spirit of God was present with the people. But Jesus said that there was a day coming for his people that the Spirit of God would actually dwell in God's people. In fact, Jesus said on the night in which he was betrayed, he, he said, he said to his disciples, it's actually better that I go, because if I do not go, I, the counselor can't come. That's the Holy Spirit. But when I go and I send the counselor, who's your comforter, he will dwell in you. That is the promise of Christ. And guess what? In Acts chapter two, you can read it. Peter preaches this wonderful sermon and the, the Spirit of God descends on the people of God, the church. 
Later, Paul writes about this. He calls it the mystery of the gospel, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory that Moses longed to see in Yahweh, the Lord Almighty, that glory is our hope in us to come. Christian, there will be a day when there is no more sorrow or tears. Those temptations will no longer be nagging at you. That, that ability for you to just say things you wish you could never say will be utterly gone because there's a day when God promises to renew this world, to renew creation, and to do what? Bring heaven to earth. Ultimately, heaven isn't you floating on a cloud strumming a harp. Heaven is you in a physical resurrected body. Just like Christ in His glory is resurrected. Christ has a body right now. And one day He will return to earth. Heaven is coming down. And Christ will be, we will see Him face to face. That's the hope of the glory that we share. And so, what we see is that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that gave Him resurrected life, now dwells in us. That we can live resurrected lives so that we can know God's ways and live them out. Look at Exodus 33.13. He says, Now therefore, if I found favor in your sight, it's kind of a weird statement, if I found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know in order to find favor in your sight. Right? So, But what he really wants is he wants to know God's ways. God's ways are not like our ways. But when the Spirit of God is in us, the Holy Spirit, He points us to God's Word, and we come to be a people who who are illumined. Uh, we, the, the Word of God becomes illumined, and the, and the words of God become like like honey to our lips. My friends, God has promised His presence with His people. So how is it that we could ever deny it, or or doubt it, or diminish this truth? May our greatest longing in the morning and our greatest delight in the evening be that God is present with us. And so like Moses, let us plead according to his promise. If your present will not go, presence will not go with me, do not bring me up from here. That's the promise now for the basis of God's presence. In our passage, the basis of God's presence is threefold. Our faith, God's character, and the covenant that unites us. My friends, God's presence with us is not based on our works, but our faith. Moses keeps saying, if I have found favor in your sight, then be present with us. And so we're tempted to think, is there something that Moses did that somehow earned God's favor, like put, put, put God in Moses' debt? No, that nothing like that happened. But Moses did do something. What did he do? He believed. He exercised faith in God. Remember in, in way back when, like in the fall, Exodus 3, there's this burning bush. God calls Moses, gives him a calling, and says, go in to deliver my people. I will be with you. And what happened? Moses believed, and he stepped out in faithful obedience. Moses shows us that a relationship with God is one of faith, faith that leads to obedience. Moses' faith is why he found favor in God's sight. And understand this too. If you're ever to find favor in God's sight, it's because of faith, not your works. And also understand this. It's not how strong your faith is. It is not the strength of your faith, but the, the strength of the one in whom your faith is placed. Jesus Christ. It's your faith and faith alone that makes you favorable in God's sight. 
And so it's your faith that is the basis of God's presence with you, whether that faith is weak or strong. Maybe some of you here feel like your faith is really weak right now. But if your faith is in Christ, that is well-placed faith, and God's presence belongs to you. The next basis of God's presence in our lives is his character. We see in chapter 33 and then in 34, God's character is glorious and, and it's good and it's gracious. Verse 18 of 33, Moses says, please show me your glory, right? Uh, and verse 19, God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord. That's his name in Hebrew is Yahweh. Yahweh is God's covenant name. It speaks of God's faithfulness to be the God for his people, to care for them. And then he says, I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and show mercy to whom I'll be mer- to, to whom I show mercy. But you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And then God comes up with this plan. He says, don't worry, Moses, I will hide you over here and my hand will cover you. I will protect you. You won't be able to see my face, but you'll see my glory pass by. And then later in chapter 34, in verse 5, the Lord actually comes down in glory. And with God's own voice, he declares five attributes. And they're not, I'm mean, I'm a jerk, I'm an angry God, I, you know, I'm just here to, you know, run people through the ringer. No, right? What does he say? There's, there's five attributes. All right, so this is where you get to, like, play the circle the attribute game with me, okay? In, in your bulletin, not your Bible, though, okay? I'm going to read and see if you can come up in verse 6, the five attributes. The Lord, Yahweh, passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. What are the five characteristics of God's attributes of God's character on display? Mercy. God declares he is a God of mercy. Next, gracious. God is a gracious God. And third, contrary to what most moderns think, God is slow to anger. Fourth, he's abounding. Not not just he has steadfast love, but he abounds in steadfast love. And fifth, God abounds in faithfulness. You know, consider this. Without these five attributes as being God's character, neither Moses nor us would have any hope of God's presence in our lives. None of us, even after coming to faith in Christ, are the people that we know we should be. We know God's ways and we often fall way short. If God waited for you and me to clean up our acts before he would be present in our life, we would be waiting a really long time. Now, isn't the glory, the goodness, the grace of God, these attributes, marvelous? In your, on your connection card, one of the next steps is to ponder and delight the attributes of God in this verse. Perhaps sometime this week you can take this text and meditate on them again. The third basis of God's presence in our lives is the covenant that unites us. Did you notice that in chapter 33, God says, I'm going to show you my glory. It's going to be wonderful. But then he just doesn't do it right away, right? There's something really important that he asks Moses to do before he will come down and show him his glory. Moses had to do what? 
he had to go back down the mountain, chisel out some new stone tablets, and bring them up to God early in the morning so that God could once again inscribe with his own finger the Ten Commandments. Why? God is telling Moses, I will come down in glory and be present with my people, but first we need to restore the covenant relationship between us. See, the blessing of God's presence is always tied to the presence of God's covenant of blessing. First, Moses had to go back down the mountain and chisel out some new stones so that God could then rewrite the covenant so the people could reaffirm it and renew it. Now, try to imagine this. You're there in the camp, and there's Moses again coming down. And he's walking with a purpose, kind of like a UPS driver, right? And he walks into the camp, and and all of a sudden you hear ka-ching, ka-ching, ching, 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 and you're like, what is he? What is he doing? And then some elder comes over and says, Moses is making two new tablets. What? I can't believe it. Two new tablets? But it's too late for that, isn't it? We've blown it, haven't we? And then the next morning. You see Moses, your fearless, faithful leader, early in the morning, arise and and walk up the mountain with those two tablets in his hands. Imagine the joy of the nation. There goes our beloved mediator, Moses. He's faithful to intercede on our behalf. He brings us forgiveness and peace with God. Could it be that God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness? Could it be? Yes, the covenant is being renewed. Only then, after the covenant documents, the Ten Commandments were re-etched in stone, did God descend upon the mountain and pass before Moses. Now, what does this mean for us today? God's presence in our lives is still predicated on a covenant his covenant, but it is a greater, richer, new covenant. Why? Because Christ, not not Moses, is our mediator of this covenant. Unlike Moses, who was himself a sinner, Jesus Christ has fulfilled all the requirements of God's people. All of our disobedience, he has been faithful for, and, and he's taken upon himself the punishment that we deserve. Simply put, the covenant is no longer signed or mediated by a fallen human being, the covenant is signed by the blood of Christ, God's very own Son. At the Last Supper, Jesus lifted up the cup and He said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Covenant's an important word for us to understand. If Christ has saved you, you are saved because of the new covenant in His blood. Because of this, you now belong to his covenant people. So membership in God's covenant people is not dependent upon your good works, but Christ's good work for you. And therefore, listen to this. Therefore, you can never be removed from his covenant people. That was the threat under the Old Testament. You had to obey and obey, and if you didn't sacrifice well, you were cut off from your people. But with Christ... Christ the one who's taken the penalty for us. Our membership in God's covenant people is secure. It's based on Christ's faithfulness, not ours. And so, what does this mean? 
It means you need not be anxious of your standing with God if you are in Christ. It means you need not wonder if you're worthy enough for God to be present in your life right now. Some of you feel like you haven't, you've blown it, um, and you, you're wanting to go etch a couple stones and run up the mountain in order to make things right, otherwise God won't be with you, but Christ has already done that for you. And so you can cry out with greater assurances than Moses had for the promise of God's presence will be fully manifested in your lives. So that's the promise and the basis now for the result. The result of God's presence. God's presence means that we have his favor, right? We've seen this in this text. I'm not making it up. Moses pleads with God based on what God has already declared. God has declared Moses and his people to have his favor. 33, verse 12. You have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Verse 16. Moses makes a valid point. For how shall it be known that I have favor in your sight, I and your people? Moses is saying your presence, Moses is saying your presence with us means that we have your favor. God would never be present with someone who doesn't have his favor. Then God replies in verse 17, Yes, I will go with you, for you have found favor in my sight. I know you by name. My friends, God's presence with us means we have favored status. You know, the World Trade Organization, it has a special name for all of its members. It's called Most Favored Nation Status. And what that means is that every member of the World Trade Organization has most favored nation status, and that each nation is to treat the other nations as if they are the best person to trade with, the best country to trade with. They are most favored. It means no discrimination can take place. It means the lowest tariffs are afforded to the fellow member nations. Problem is, in theory this sounds great, but in practice it really doesn't work out that way. Just consider the United States trade recently with Russia and with China. All three countries have what? Most favored nation status, but none of them are treating each other as most favored. Not so in the Christian life. If you belong to the covenant people of God, one result is that you are most favored by God. That's your status. And your status is not based on your faithfulness, which can take away that status. Your most favored status has come from God, from Christ, and therefore it cannot be taken away. And so I think that's one of the most important things Christians can grasp, is that they have God's favor. Some of you need to hear that right now. Because of your trust in Christ, you have God's absolute favor upon you. You don't have to lift a finger. You don't have to sing louder than anyone else here this morning on the closing hymn, right? You have it already. Therefore, maybe sing loud on the closing hymn. All right? Think it through. How much more will you be eager for God's presence in your life when you know how much He favors you? With this comes another result, our distinction. Isn't that amazing? We are distinct from all the other peoples of the earth. Look at verse 16. Some days I don't feel like that, but here we go. Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, this is a corporate distinction, from every other people on the face of the earth? 
God's presence with us, His people, the church, makes us distinct. I remember when I was in college, I wasn't a Christian at the time. I became a Christian when I was 29. And I tended to think that Christians were weak. You know, they certainly, I certainly wasn't interested in becoming a Christian. But in freshman year, I was, I went to, I was at TCU my freshman year and then I transferred to Indiana. But freshman year, um, Thanksgiving break came up and it was too far to travel. So, but my mom had some family friends from when we lived in Houston. And, um, these friends, Stuart and Diane Schaefer, they invited me to their ranch in Texas for the, for the long Thanksgiving weekend. And at the time, my parents were getting a divorce. You can imagine, it was rather difficult. But what I experienced at the Schaefer's house was the exact opposite of what happened in my own home. The Schaefer's home was full of warmth and kindness and love. I did not want to leave. In fact, on the day I had to leave, I wept in their presence. I told them that I wish my family was like theirs. Diane explained that they were Christians and, and that they had God in their lives. And that's the reason I enjoyed being in their presence. Now, it made no sense to me at the time. Years later, though, I called Diane to let her know that I'd become a Christian. And turns out, she'd been praying for me all those years. I also remember the time I first began hanging out with Christians. You know, I used to hang out with like Non-Christians, kind of crazy. I'm not saying we, I'm not saying don't hang out with non-Christians, but let's just say I was a little bit out there. But I started going to church and hanging out with groups from the church. And when I was in the presence of other believers corporately, there was just something about the experience I just couldn't put a finger on. There's something about these people. It's not like other people. Now I've come to know it's the presence of God in His people. It's the, His presence in us that makes us distinct. His mercy, listen, His mercy and His grace reside in us. And so we're, we're merciful and gracious and welcoming to all. Because we live for Christ in His kingdom, our lives aren't turned in on ourselves, and, but we're turned outwardly towards others, and people aren't used to that. And so as we live out our calling together, Guess what? We, scripture says that we carry around the aroma of Christ, which is pleasing to others. That's what makes us distinct. Let's, let's not get prideful here. This is Christ in us that does this work. If Christ were not in us as his church, we would probably stink. <laughs> you know, we'd be just like every other group out there. The next result of God's presence in our lives is worship. Look at Moses' response in verse 8. And Moses quickly bowed his head, quickly bowed his head towards the earth. Humility, see that? And worship. Moses bows in humility to honor the Lord, to give him thanks and praise. Christian, because God is continually with us, our lives are to be a continual sacrifice of praise. Not just for an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday, but every hour of every day. God is with us. Lastly, God's presence results in us being his inheritance. Moses makes this amazing request in the last verse of our passage. Look at chapter 34, verse 9. He says, if I have found favor in your sight. See how he keeps going back? I've got your favor. I know I've got it. 
If I found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people. He's being honest. Okay. And then he says, and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. That last bit, pardon our iniquity and sin and take us for your inheritance. The wording here is important. It's not, it's not, you know, take us to our inheritance, the promised land. No, take us to be your inheritance. In the ancient Near East, it was the firstborn son who would be the inheritance. He had the lion's share of the estate when the patriarch passed. The status of firstborn, the status of inheritance was crucial and critical back then and so special. So Moses' request that the nation would be the inheritance, that the nation would as, as a whole receive firstborn son status would mean that everything now has been fully restored to the people. That the relationship between God and his people was as good as it could ever be under the old covenant. Christian, here's what we need to understand this morning. You are God's inheritance. His delight is upon you as if you were his firstborn son. And actually, if you think it through, it's quite spectacular. Think this through. Christian, who is God's firstborn? God's firstborn is none other than, than His eternal Son, Jesus Christ. And so ponder this truth. God's favor rests upon you, how much so? As if you are His firstborn Son, Jesus Christ. The eternal Son of God who who is perfect in glory and righteousness and holiness and goodness and sacrifice. God loves you like that. God's favor it rests on us. God's distinction, it rests on us. We have been taken by our Heavenly Father to be His treasured possession. So there we go. We've looked at the promise of God's presence, the basis of God's presence, and the result of God's presence. We've seen that our lives are to be what? Marked by the presence of God. Our lives are not to be like we're living in a house with God and acting as if He's not there. Just like any relationship, we need to reach out. Maybe today would be a good day to say, Lord, I see now that you're present with me. Would you be more present in my life? I want to walk in your ways. Show me what they are. My hope is that we not leave here the same as we came in. May we no longer deny that God is present with us. May we no longer doubt that God is present with us. May we no longer diminish this truth that he is with us. May we, like Moses, say, if your presence will not go up with me, do not bring me up from here. May we shrug off all desire to depend on ourselves. Instead, may we be desperate for God's presence in our lives. May our lives be marked by God's presence. Let's pray. Father, you're here right now. Christ Jesus, you are present. Holy Spirit, you abide with your people. You abide in your people. 
You're the one who gives us this hope. You're the one who makes, who makes these words sweet like honey to our souls. We thank you that, Father, we have your favor. And with that, we have confidence to be who you called us to be. We thank you, Jesus, that you give us rest. The work is hard, yet you give us rest in the midst of it. Thank you for uniting yourselves, yoking yourselves with us. May we be a people who are strong and distinct because the aroma of you, Jesus, is ever-present with us. May we treasure you as you dwell in us. Amen.